0: Exodus chapter 12, or excuse me, Exodus chapter 33, starting in verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, that I may know you. So that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how, then, can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us, so that we, I and your people... may be distinguished from all the other people upon the face of the earth. The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning and open your word, Lord, I pray that you will move upon us as we continue in the spirit of worship that we have already experienced, that, Father, that this will be a time of of reminder, that this will be a time, perhaps for some, of new discovery, of the value and the importance, Father, of us drawing close to who you are and knowing you and being known by you. Lord, I pray this morning that as you move through this sanctuary, as we study your word, that Lord, we will be touched in our heart, that the Holy Spirit will move upon us and that we will be people who are different when we leave here than we were when we came. Father, I I pray that your your favor will continue upon this church and this this fellowship as, as we continue to learn more, be reminded again of what it means to draw close to you. We love you and we praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I I shared with you last week, if you were here, a little bit about what the Colorado Baptist General Convention is doing. You know, one of the things that we desire to do is to infuse and inflame the cooperative spirit that has defined us as Southern Baptists. Regardless of where our churches are, regardless of the size of the church, the culture of the church, the language of the church's location, it doesn't matter. Every church is of value. Every church is important. And we know as Southern Baptists, our experience has been that we can do more in kingdom work together than we can by ourselves. Amen? And we we long to do that. It is We long to partner with all of our churches. We We are working on some strategies and tools that can be afforded to our congregations that can help them as they begin to do revitalization, as they're involved in church planting. There are many other uh, strategies that we're creating. But here's what I know. That no matter how great a plan we may have or how great of tools that we may offer to churches or how how valuable we think those things are. That we know that they will not have a lasting impact if we do not rely ourselves upon the work of God's Spirit. If we are not reliant upon the Lord, then it's just human effort. And we don't want to be about that. We don't want to be people who are just accomplishing what we can accomplish. We want to be people who not only are surrendering and giving ourselves to the Lord, but we want to be people who see the Lord work through us. This morning, our text that I read is an important text on a reliance upon the Lord. I read this statement and I want to read it to you. No people, regardless of how religious they may be, can be the people of God without the presence of God. I just found that was impactful. Let me read that one more time. No people, regardless of how religious they may be, can be the people of God without the presence of God. It is the presence of God that strengthens us and sustains us in our Christian life. Now, I shared with the the group this morning, I want to share the same thing with you. It, this message is probably just for me. That, that I, I am a person, my wiring is that I'm an A type personality. I, I make coffee nervous sometimes. <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm all about tasks. There have been times in my ministry and in my life where I have used people to accomplish tasks as opposed to using tasks to develop people and that's not just semantics right that that is that is, that is a, a significant shift one of the things i struggle with the most is quiet i get in the car and unless i'm intentional the radio is going there's always something stimulating something going on something working something that that i i struggle with that time of quiet and presence I'm the kind of person that would rather drive 20 miles out of my way than sit in traffic just so I could keep the car going. I, I know, I'm, I'm sharing it with you. I told my wife this morning, I said, you know, there are some things that are dysfunctional about why I want to keep private, and, and I'm sharing some of those things with you here this morning. But it was in this text that the Lord began to speak to me, really remind me of this importance of not just doing something, but being still before the Lord and drawing pre- close to his presence. One of the ways in which the Lord reminded me of the significance of this was just thinking through my ministry journey. Those of you who are in ministry understand this. Ministry can be painful. It's, it's not easy, and I'm not sure that when I became a pastor that I was ready for what lay ahead. In fact, some of that is because my first ministry position was as a youth pastor in Lafayette. Mountain View Southern Baptist Church is where I was saved, where I was called to ministry, and that's where I had my first ministry experience. Bill Archer was my pastor, and, and Bill was close to 70 at the time when I became the youth pastor, and he loved me like a grandson. And so he protected me from some of the ugly side of ministry. So I kind of went to seminary with this idea, everybody just likes one another, all the time. And then when I was in seminary, I served as an associate pastor for the three years I was in seminary. And the pastor that I served under... Just everybody seemed to love him. And I don't know, maybe it was just naivete on my part. I saw nothing of conflict, really, in those three years that I was there. So you can imagine my surprise when I serve in my first church as pastor. Now, let me share with you. When I was in the second chair or the third chair in the church, things were pretty easy. Because if there was a problem that was above my skis, i say, well, you've got to go see the pastor. And all of a sudden, when you sit in that chair and people are forwarding things like that to you, it's, it's not as easy. So I, I'm in my first Sunday, rural Missouri, my first church. And I'm standing out in the front of the church greeting people. As nervous as could be, but I, I'm an extreme extrovert. So I, I'm just shaking hands and all. And, and I can see this so vividly. This man gets out of his pickup truck and he walks up to me. He's wearing overalls and a baseball cap that says I'd rather be fishing. (laughs) And he grabs my hand and he shakes my hand and we make introductions, but he doesn't let go. You've you've been in that situation, right? Where someone holds on and you're trying to get away, but you're not sure how you do that. And he looks straight at me and he goes, how long is this going to take? That that was my first experience as a pastor. I learned many things in that five years in that first church. I learned this, and some of you will identify with this. I learned that the the kitchen committee is nothing to trifle with. When I first went, the kitchen committee was this gathering of lovely, grandmotherly type of women. And then I happened to move something out of place and I realized that these gentle, grandmotherly women could turn into a pack of wolves that could tear flesh from the bone. I I learned in that first church that not everybody likes me as much as my mother does. I learned in that first church not to make career decisions on Monday mornings. But here's what else I learned more than this. And, and perhaps I could say because of this, I learned to rely on the presence of the Lord. You know, we don't like conflict, but conflict is a great crucible in which we, we kind of clear the clutter of other things that we hold on to and understand what's really, really important. When I say in the presence of the Lord, what I'm talking about is the intimate relationship that God has called us to walk with Him in. You know, it was in the presence of the Lord as I was seeking the Lord that I first realized a call to ministry. It was in the presence of the Lord as I was seeking the Lord. It's where I learned that where He called me, He would sustain me. It wasn't about me. It was about trusting in Him. There are times when I wrestled greatly over the things that I felt like the Lord had had called me to. In fact, there were even moments where I felt trapped. But what I learned was that at the end of the day, it wasn't my position or my abilities or my accomplishments that brought me peace. It was the presence of the Lord. And this is what our text is about this morning. It's about being in the presence of the Lord. Let me kind of give you a background to this text that I read. And if you'll journey with me back one chapter to Exodus 32, I want to kind of follow a dialogue, the context that sets up our passage right here. By the time we get to this point, Moses has already been 40 days up on Mount Sinai where he's been convening with the Lord, where the Lord gave him the two tablets with the Ten Commandments written on them that he was to take back. And you remember something about Moses. We see it at the burning bush where Moses was the reluctant prophet, right? He was the one where God called him through the burning bush, but Moses three different times said, man, I'm God. You got the wrong version. And it was the Lord who reaffirmed to him again, no, I'm calling you. No, I'm sending you. No, I'm going to be with you. And so it is here that that Moses finds out for the first time what's happened in the camp. And while Moses was away, there was riotous living that took place in the camp. And there was a golden calf that was created because Moses had been gone. Look with me at chapter 32, verse 7. And here's what the Lord says. The Lord spoke to Moses. Go down at once for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How would you have liked to have been Moses? Remember, Moses didn't want to go. And the Lord said, yes, you're the guy. And here he has been on the mountain. Imagine 40 days with the Lord. And then the Lord looks at him and says, hey, those people that you brought here, they've corrupted themselves. And so Moses goes down the mountain and he confronts Aaron, his brother, who had been left in charge while he was gone. And he wants to know, how did all of this take place? I want you to look with me at chapter 32, verse 21. Then Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that that you have brought such great sin upon them? And Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord burn. But you know the people yourself, and they are prone to evil. For they said to me, Make a God for us who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we did not know what has become of him. And I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. And so they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Aaron's taking... Zero responsibility for what's taken place. He just says, hey, I took the gold they gave me, I threw it in the fire, and this calf just jumped out all by itself. And it was at this point that the Lord said to Moses, I'm about to destroy this people, but I will make a great nation of you. And Moses implored the Lord on behalf of the people to spare them. And so the Lord spoke to Moses again, this time told him what he was going to do. Look with me at chapter 33, starting in verses 1 through 3. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought from the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. I will send an angel before you and will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, because you are an obstinate people, and I might destroy you on the way. I want us to focus just a minute on on these things that the Lord was telling Moses. It was here that the, the Lord said, I'm going to fulfill my covenant. God is a God of His Word. He honors his word. He carries out his word. What God covenants, he does. And he had made that covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would give the people a land flowing with milk and honey. But I want you to hear what the Lord says. I'll fulfill my word and I will send you into the land. And not only will I send you into the land, I'll send an angel before you and clear all of the people that are there and you'll have it as an inheritance. But here's the catch. I'm not going to go with you. Because if I go with you, I may destroy you. The Lord's going to fulfill his promise, and they're going to get that land. But the removal of of his presence, he said, was for their own protection, lest he destroy them. If he went with them, it would have been the end of it. I want to stop just for a minute here and reflect on these two statements. I think there are times in, in our, our walk with the Lord that we reduce our service to the Lord simply to a task to be completed, a work to be done, a work to be accomplished. I think there are some times in our walk as well that we reduce prayer to just about making a request and seeking an answer. But when we do that, what we do is we trade that for something less than what God intended those things to be. You see, our service to the Lord should not be, we're gonna work for the Lord so that, that He'll like us more. When we live in a results-oriented society, right? That's what our culture is. And that bleeds into our spiritual life from time to time. And we think that by the things that I do, I will find God's favor. God will like me just a little bit more. I'll work just a little bit harder. And yet that's just, that's even the antithesis of drawing into his presence. That service to the Lord should be from the overflow of our relationship with him. From the time that we spend in his presence, then the work should flow. Out of that, because that's relationship building. Think of prayer for a moment. You know, sometimes prayer, again, just becomes that I'm going to impart information to God, I'm just going to tell Him what's going on, what's new in my life. Think about that just for a minute. We're telling the God of the universe, who knows everything already, what's going on in our life, as if that's the sole focus and purpose of prayer. Now, God wants us communing with Him, But when you commune with someone, it is an intimacy, relationship-building experience. If I only talked to my wife at times that I wanted her to do something for me, how intimate would we have a relationship? Husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, you, you, you understand that concept, right? Even communing with With friends, you know that it's in communication. You share who you are. You share your heart. You get to know one another. And prayer is that. It's about building relationship with the Lord. You see, here's something that I have to remind myself all the time. God did not hire you to work for Him. He called you to walk with Him. There's a difference in that, right? He didn't hire us to work for him. He called us to know him. He called us to walk with him. If the Israelites were interested only in getting the land that God had promised, they would have received that. But the question is, at what cost would that have come for them? I want us to jump ahead in uh, chapter 33 to verses 7 through 11. And as I read through these verses, I want you to notice the shift of tents that takes place. At this point, everything has been in the present tense, but now there is a shift in verses 7 through 11 to past tense. Listen to these words. Now, Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp and go a distance from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside of the camp. And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent, that all the people would arise and stand each at the entrance of his tent and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship each at the entrance of his tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. As I was reading through some commentaries, Experts in the Old Testament say, suggest that these verses that are found here are reminders for us that, that the removal of the tent outside of the camp was a word to us that we must separate ourselves from ordinary things that we may come into the presence of the Lord. But but I as I read this more and more, it appeared to me that really what this is is a parenthetical statement that would demonstrate to the readers and to those that were listening what the cost would be had the Lord just given them the land and then withdrew himself. In other words, what they would lose as a result. And I want you to look at these things. They would lose the Lord's counsel because the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, and Moses would relay what the Lord said to the people. They would lose that communication. They would lose the security of knowing that the Lord was watching over them at all times. Wherever they went, whatever they did, the Lord was with them. They would lose that because God would withdraw himself. And the third thing is they would lose the wonder of worship that comes that was, that was provoked by the presence of God being in their midst, they would lose that wonder of worship. All of that would be gone. But Moses wanted more. He didn't just want what God would give them, he wanted the Lord. And that really is the central focus of this text. And so I want us to look you have a, an outline this morning that, you, that there are a couple blanks to fill in. Then I want us to look at two points quickly out of this text. that that communicate to us what we have, but only in the presence of the Lord. The first one is only in the presence of the Lord can we experience true intimacy with the Lord. If you remove the Lord's presence, you sacrifice intimacy with God. There's just no other way around that. In fact, Moses speaks that in verses 12 through 14. Moses' first plea to the Lord was, Lord, may I know you. You know, four times in these three verses, the Hebrew word yada is used. The Hebrew word yada really can be translated either as to know or be known. And, and it can simply be cognitive information. So in verse 12, it was when Moses said, Lord, you have, not, you have not let me know who's going with me. That was just information. But in the three other uses, the word Yada, or the word to know, was a word that communicated knowing someone, an intimate knowledge of someone, a relationship with someone. In fact, for the Lord to use to say, I know you, Moses, was for the Lord to say, Moses, you are mine. There is a relationship here. I know you. And Moses was asking, Lord, if I'm indeed yours, then demonstrate to me. By allowing me to know you. Folks, it's it's through the presence of the Lord that we grow closer to Him. If we lose that and we lose intimacy with the Lord, everything we do from that point forward is just religious duty. And and I'm willing to, to venture a guess that not one person, not one of God's children in this room, want to just be about religious duty, want to be about intimacy and relationship. Sometimes one of the greatest dangers from those who teach from God's word is that we we can sacrifice personal devotion and growth and time with the Lord for looking through the word for the next lesson to teach. Again, maybe I'm just speaking to me. When I was in seminary, I remember that... um, You know, when you're in in an academic setting, when you're in school, uh, you succeed by performance. You do the work, you do good work, and you get an A. And that is the identification of success. In fact, I remember having a New Testament professor who said, I want to be very clear about this. You are all saved by grace, but by works in this class. And all that did was fuel my, my personality. It's like, okay, I get that. I get that. We just doubled down and work harder. And then came in my last semester of seminary, we were preparing for an Old Testament uh, test, a final. And a man from across the street came over and he was going to join our study group. And he knocked on the door and I opened the door and there were tears coming from his eyes. And it was like, Roger, What's going on? Because I made the assumption something was wrong or he and his wife had an animated discussion. You you know, pastors and their wives don't fight. They have animated discussions. And so maybe it was an animated discussion that went on and his words to me penetrated my heart, broke my heart. He said, I was reading in the Psalms and I was moved by the majesty of God. And I realized in that moment, that had not happened to me it the word of god the living word of god had become a textbook for me it was clear that moses wanted to grow in the lord and in verse 14 god answers moses plea by saying my presence shall go with you and i will give you rest the the lord knew moses heart was sincere and genuine And the presence of the Lord was the only thing that would provide rest for it. I want us to look at the second point in verses 15 through 17, and that is, only in the presence of the Lord can we embrace our true distinction in the Lord. Moses' second plea to the Lord was this, "'For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people?' Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all of the other people upon the face of the earth? The kind of distinction that Moses was talking about was not distinction that draws attention to self. It was distinction as as an individual or as a people through whom God worked. And that becomes the testimony of Moses' life. We know that there were moments... A failure for Moses just like there is for everyone, but but Moses life was essentially a picture of what it meant for God to distinguish him not because of who Moses was, but because of who God was working through Moses. Think about these examples in the burning bush that I, I alluded to earlier in exodus three eleven and twelve It was Moses who stood and to the Lord and he said. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And the Lord's response was this. Certainly, I will be with you. Moses wasn't accomplishing these things on his own. God was working through him. I want you to think about the 10 plagues. They are illustrative of God working through Moses. I want you to think about the parting of the Red Sea. You know, early on in my Christian life, I just thought, Moses was great, parted the Red Sea. that was amazing. Moses didn't part the Red Sea, right? He didn't have the ability to do that. The Lord parted the Red Sea through Moses. The desert provisions and the time on Sinai were all of these things that were, were, again, demonstrative of how Moses had allowed the Lord and the intimacy and the time he spent, the Lord to accomplish great things through him. In fact, if the Lord did not go with them, he knew that all of that would be lost. And so in verse 15, Moses makes the most profound statement, the most revealing and transparent statement that's made in this entire text, where Moses simply says to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. If you're not going with us, don't lead us from here. Brother Jay was sharing with me between services this morning, a study that he's been doing. Alistair Begg made the comment that if the presence of the Lord isn't there, he was talking about the the Ark of the Covenant. If the presence of the Lord isn't there, the box doesn't matter. That's powerful, isn't it? It's, It's in the presence of the Lord that this distinction comes. And here was the Lord's response. Verse 17. I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. It is a clear picture of intimacy that exists between them. Moses' desire to know God, God's knowledge of who Moses was. So here's the question for us this morning as we come to a time to reflect and to um, internalize these things for our own walk with the Lord. How important is the presence of the Lord in your life? How much does that matter? You know, there there were examples in the seven churches of Revelation where the spirit of the Lord wasn't there, but they carried on a lot of activity how important is that presence in your life how significant is knowing the lord for you my fear and i say this because i i am one of these people that struggle in this is that we have a tendency to replace the presence of the lord with accomplishing things for the lord and i want you to think about how that becomes a death spiral because As there are times when we don't feel as close to the Lord, there is something in our our brains that click, or again, maybe this is just me, something that clicks, well, I'll work harder to accomplish and draw closer. And yet the more I do, the further I drift. Until it gets to that point where all of a sudden, focus begins to shift. The things of the Lord don't have the significance in life that they had before. And all of these things are red flags. All of these things should be pieces for us that say, hey, time to readjust, time to realign, time to refocus, time to be still and know that he is God. This is the time for us to realign our focus to the Lord. Remember, God didn't hire any of us to work for him but he did call all of us to walk with him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning.